Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. In today's podcast, we discuss the power of story in society, that a successful society is a society of successful stories. All human endeavors are storytelling, and we're going to discuss all forms of storytelling from gossip to biography, to history, to criticism, to fiction, and its antithesis, censorship and book burning. David Doring knows the power of story, which is the backstory to the convention he created, Life, the Universe, and Everything. Welcome, Dave Doring. Good evening, John. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm looking forward to this discussion. I am always a pleasure to work with you and your team, a very professional group. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, and for the sake of everybody listening here, we'll, we'll probably at some point or another switch from Life, the Universe, and Everything to just LTUE. That's just the agreed upon abbreviation, which uh, is a lot easier to say and a lot faster. So, <laughs> so I guess the first thing is uh, we were talking about the, you know, like I said the, the power of story and it's such a common theme through so many podcasts that I've recorded. So let's just discuss the overview of the power of story and why you started LTUE. Well, certainly uh, I, I grew up in New York and so it was a surprise to find out that there was something called organized fandom. I didn't know about it. There was no internet in those days. And uh, so when I had an opportunity to come to university and meet other people who were more educated than I was, I became involved then with uh, finding out about how science fiction got started, how fans got started, that they have these meetings and whatnot. And um, that story was compelling to me because I've always thought that when we start our lives in the university, for example, we want to paint a picture in our mind of where we want to be when we uh, finally grow up and uh, become an adult. So when I got to uh, Brigham Young University, I found that uh, there was no serious science fiction club. There wasn't any kind of a, a magazine or uh, even an event to go to. And I thought, wow, you know, I guess I'm going to have to act kind of like some kind of a science fiction missionary here and kind of start things. And I was, uh, I, you know, I was uh, very happy to uh, be at the right time because there were several of us who had similar desires to make things happen. This is about 30 years ago? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, okay, and uh, what I was going to say, John, is that curiously enough, uh, writers of the future and LTUE, Life, the Universe, and Everything, are uh, very close in age. Uh, yeah. we're, a we're actually going to have our 40th anniversary next year. And, uh, and I believe the contest and the uh, the workshop, uh, Writers of the Future, is going to have their 40th uh, two years later. Is that right? That's correct. That's pretty good math you got going on there. Oh, that's lucky for a writer because I had to marry an accountant in order to be able to balance the checkbook. <laughs> well, the uh, uh, the fact is, is we were helped the uh, in starting a science fiction club, so I kind of make it a kind of a little 
hub of activity. And then the university had invited uh, Ben Bova, who at the time was the head of Omni magazine. And he came out and gave a talk. And the university asked us, well, do you, uh, as a club, uh, is there something you'd like to do with him? And so we arranged a luncheon and uh, a question and answer period and then an informal reception. And he had such a wonderful time, he and Barbara, uh, that uh, uh, when it got over and they left, we we said, you know, that was so much fun. Uh, Why don't we do another one next year? (laughs) So. The, the ball got rolling. Now, part of this was uh, started it, for me was uh, Orson Scott Card came and gave a talk at uh, BYU and had inspired me so much. I said, this is one of my tribe. I've got to meet this man. And I overheard that he was going to be giving a talk at a professor's house. Well, I didn't know the professor. I didn't even know the address. I actually had to call the police department on their civilian line for them to tell me where this place was. Because remember, there was no Google in those days. That's right. So the next thing you know, I'm knocking on this professor's door. He opens the door, sees me, knows he doesn't know me from Adam. And I smile at him and say, hi, sorry, I'm late. And I step on inside. (laughs) (laughs) And I... I go into the living room and it's a sea of people. There's absolutely only one seat left in the room. And that's right next to Scott Card. So for the next two and a half hours, I'm sitting up at the front of this room. Everybody, sure, I must be a a brother or a friend of Scott's. And (laughs) Scott's looking at me. Oh, he must have been one of the students in the class. But uh, he inspired me to think, you know, beyond just what we could do today in, uh, with our uh, limited resources, but what would happen if we could expand this? And that's why when we had the opportunity to start Life, the Universe, and Everything, uh, we started thinking, wow, you know, let's get some famous writers together to teach us how the business of writing happens and how a story is created. And because I think what I found out with writers, most of us are pretty much solitary creatures afflicted with something I call the chattering monkey, which is that voice in your head that keeps telling you, you idiot, you can't write this. What do you, what makes you think you can write a story about this? You can't do that. And you have to tell it to shut up and go to work. And I had to laugh when I mentioned this to Scott. He said that, uh, Dave, don't let me kid you. I suffer from that too. And that's why the lock on my office door is on the outside. So, <laughs> so my wife comes and locks the door and says, no lunch until you get those two chapters done. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, um, you know, we had... Uh, 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 when we uh, we did the LTUE for three years, I thought, oh, that's a, a good long run for something that we were doing. We uh, learned a lot. And uh, we uh, hosted then at the end there, CJ Cherry and Fred Pohl, which was glorious. And I said, okay, we'll end on the high note. And two other people came up to me who attended and said, hey, we got some ideas for next year. <laughs> I said, okay, how about you try running it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, from there, it just, you know, the the story that we told, which is that 
uh, by working together uh, and bringing a bunch of creative uh, writers together, we can learn to be better and do better and uh, overcome these common handicaps we had. And I mean, I just dreamed at that time of uh, possibly getting ourselves uh, published in a, a magazine, one of the science fiction magazines. I To think that there would be four of the top five fantasy writers in the world coming from Utah was just you know, it, it was a daydream. Yeah. And uh, to, you know, be able to talk now with Brandon Sanderson, who says it was uh, LTUE was instrumental in helping him get his career launched. It just is, you know, terrifically satisfying for me. And it's interesting, just as, a, as an aside, you've mentioned Ben Bova and um, Scott, Car Scott Card and... Um, Let's see who are the um, CJ Cherry and and yeah, Fred, Pohl. Fred, Fred Pohl. Fred Pohl. Fred Pohl. Yeah, yeah, and they were all judges for Writers of the Future, either past or present. So we we definitely have that that very similar uh, pattern of of just working with the best, the cream of the crop. Well, well, why not start at the top? You know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a little hard. I have to explain to uh, novice writers today what life was like back then, because there were only uh, six or eight major publishing houses in New York. There were three or four studios in L.A. and uh, three networks. So if you were a writer, there were very limited uh, opportunities for you to become a professional. Right. And we... Uh, you know, and things were done by mail and by phone. And the instantaneous world we live in now is just incredible, John. And, uh, you know, from learning from our, uh, from each other and from those professionals, and certainly I think, uh, we, you know, I can't say enough about the writers of the future. Uh, but of course, anyone listening to this podcast should already be converted to the idea of uh, using that as the l launch pad for their career as well. Yeah. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, John. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so on our previously getting, getting ready for this podcast, you had, you had mentioned that how you learn to ask to help um, as part of your experience in science fiction. How, can you ex explain that a little bit? Oh, certainly. One of the things you get is you think when you're a, a junior in uh, college or even in high school, uh, you, you can't talk to these professionals. I mean, uh, you, you're, you don't count for anything. And uh, I uh, heard a great story about uh, Steve Jobs, who, uh, when he needed, uh, when 12 years old doing some kind of school project, uh, uh, needed some chips, some computer chips. So he decided to call up the head of HP and ask him. And uh, the president answered the phone and, hey, oh, you want some chips? Sure, come over, I'll get you some. <laughs> now, now I, I only learned that story later because it would have encouraged me because I had. Uh, I attended the uh, the Worldcon in Baltimore one year and had the opportunity to meet with Gary Kurtz, who was the producer of Star Wars. And this would have been a glorious time. Well, I'm walking across the campus there, and here comes Mr. Kurtz, and I'm thinking, hey, maybe he's lost. He's going in the wrong direction. But 
but I'm just this peon kid. I can't talk to Gary Kurtz from Mount Olympus. So guess what? He walked past me. I walked to the meeting room, and he never came because he was lost. And all I had to do, John, all I had to do was say, excuse me, Mr. Kurtz, are you lost? Can I show you where the meeting is? And he would have said, sure. And now I have three or four minutes private time with him where he's kindly disposed to me for saving him from an embarrassment. And I, and I didn't say anything. I'm yeah. thinking, what's the worst, John? What's the worst that can happen in those situations? Is What if he said, hey, you idiot, I'm Gary Kurtz. I know what I'm doing. Get out of here. Well, do you think I want to spend another second with a guy like that? No. And from that, I, I decided that if I wanted to get these professionals, uh, I would have to make a polite but direct request, Would you uh, and could you attend our event here? And uh, that I had, uh, uh, I, I'm happy to say I passed on and we were able to, you know, to uh, have some of the top names. I mean, I'm so glad we got people like Tim Powers and Octavia Butler to come to LTUE. I mean, it was wonderful. When Octavia, yeah. Octavia came, she had never seen live snow. She's from NLA. She, she had never seen live snow. And yeah. We are having a blizzard that night. We used to uh, say the LTUE should really have borrowed from Boston, and we should call ours not Boss Cone, but Snow Cone. <laughs> yeah. And and she's just thinking she's in a uh, on uh, you know a shuttlecraft from the Enterprise landing on an alien planet because here's a foot of snow. Whoa! It's all white. What is this? Oh, and what a glorious person! And yeah. Uh, Everybody. She was also both those Tim Powers and Octavia was a judge briefly. She got it was just before she got ill and passed, but she also had agreed to become a judge and but wasn't able to do anything before she before she got um, ill and passed away. But yeah, she was a, a lovely lady, just an amazingly lovely lady. Yes, and I, uh, yeah, I obviously in the great after con they're going to have such a guest list. Yeah. But, for right now, we have uh, we have some great people, uh, you know, today writing, and so it's uh, it still remains a wonderful time. Yeah. So now, which is great, but now in terms yeah. of the subject of, of story, yeah, because um, you listed off several different types of story, and what we're going to go over here. So yeah. the power, like like I said in my introduction, the power of story in society. The successful society is a society of successful stories. Yes. And, and all human endeavors are storytelling. So let's we've got several categories. We've got gossip, biography, history, science, politics, news, yeah. criticism, and fiction. And then we'll go into the antithesis, which is the yeah. whole subject of, of uh, censorship and book burning. So to begin with, us, you know, in terms of types of story, let's go in like gossip and how that is. And Listeners, please take a look at this and listen to it from the perspective of how you can apply this to your storytelling if this is the type of story you want to be able to tell or that you're trying to tell. So, Dave, over to you then on gossip as a type of story. Well, remember, we're human beings, and that is a universal, no matter your uh, gender, no matter your race, uh, 
you all, we all live by story. And the reason I listed out these different categories is to show that this is innate to us. It's not like we're strangers to story. Now, gossip, for example, is simply stories you invent about the motives of other people and their actions, the cause of what their actions are. And now, obviously, we're all very curious about what drives people to do this, that, and the other. Uh, on the other hand, uh, by just even using the word gossip, we uh, are putting an, a pejorative there that uh, your guesses are wrong in most cases about why people do stuff. Or injurious, and, yeah. Yeah, and injurious. No, that's, uh, I, I'm terrified of, of, of the potential you have. And uh, I see this time and again where, uh, uh, you know, although maybe ESP exists, but it seems to be universal in, in some people that they know exactly why people did this or that or, or, or the other. And uh, usually to the detriment of the person they're talking about. The, the fact is, is we don't know what goes on in, in other people's hearts until they share with us what they're feeling. And, right. uh, you know, so it's one category of story. You know, we it, want to go ahead, John. Yeah. And then I was just going to say then, and if we need to, we'll, you know, we won't discuss this any further on it for other categories, but any type of, of story or novel you can think of that would be that type of story that people getting, oh, this is that type, besides just what you see three quarters of the time on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but any other type of novel or story that is gossip and that's the basic theme of it? Well, off the top of my head, John, I uh, I found that uh, gossip has been used less often in fiction, probably because we as authors can see in people's heads and so we provide more clues than people get in real life. And so when, uh, when I think of it, it's the, uh, you know, when we talk about 1984, for example, we're talking about where it, it's all about story. Uh, the, uh, that is to say, I should say, you know, that uh, it's gossip in a way that uh, were we at war with uh, uh, that country and not this country? Well, now Wikipedia tells us, no, we've always been at war in the other country. Oh, okay. You know, and then yeah. we move on. And, uh, you know, uh, the fact is, is that we are like litmus paper in terms of when we hear a good story, but sometimes we're not good at critical thinking. And that's where 1984 and also Fahrenheit 451, you know, um, you know, uh, bear on this question you asked, John, which is trying to point out the flaws when uh, we only take in partial information and uh, conjure up why this is. Yeah, and you also have all the news speak. You were talking about 1984. That's that whole thing of whatever the party line is, you have to follow that and stick to it. And Oh, Oh, no question about it. Yeah. And uh, that's a dangerous slope to, to get into because uh, I thought we had uh, eliminated this in the mid-20th century, you know, when a, a certain party came to rule a country and dictated which races, which creeds uh, were acceptable and which were not. Yeah. <clears throat> the whole and, McCarthyism time period. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And how do you prove a negative? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the problem. There's no uh, recourse. 
Now, uh, those of the Christian faith uh, preach a gospel that God was willing to hear about repentance and change. But unfortunately, in those societies, in McCarthyism, there was no redemption, no path to remorse and recovery. It's just, you know, you now have to be erased. Yeah. And we won't go that direction right now with the 21st century, but exactly. Yeah, no, I I, yeah. I would hope we don't have to visit this again. And Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we... Uh, okay, so gossip basically works in the nonfiction where someone wants to be able to uh, whitewash something or to uh, paint something in a very derogatory fashion for whatever purposes or ends they're trying to do, whether it be character yeah. assassination or to forward your own agenda over that. And that's how gossip makes it into storytelling. Even though they call it nonfiction, it's still gossip. Yeah. And uh, one of the beauties, the power of, uh, uh, you know, of science fiction is explore why things and how things happen. And, but there's this compelling uh, you know, uh, when we're not thinking critically, you know, we like to have a, a good story that sounds good, but science fiction kind of digs deeper to say, you know, but, but why, but why is this, you know, what, what is happening here? And then yeah. fantasy gives us the benefit of looking at what happens when you have power and how do you apply power and magic, because magic is of the essence in, in fantasy, what is the what is the personal sacrifice you meet, need to make uh, for magic to happen? Because of course, a poor story of fantasy is one in which there's no price for magic. Well, you know that doesn't ring true because we know that any kind of power has to come from something being sacrificed. Right. Right. So. Okay, good. So yeah, good. So we'll go on to the fiction in a bit, but let's just go through these other ones because I'm just fascinated what you have to say then about biography. Oh, and well, the next see, story. Yeah, well, biography naturally entails compiling a whole mountain of information into a smaller quantity, and it means which stories do you pick and choose? Uh, which ones uh, do you want to have shared with people in a biography? So we're telling a story about a famous person or someone of influence, and we have to make guesses about why, you know, which uh, stories that we have on this person can actually uh, illuminate what this, uh, the motives that person was, uh, was uh, doing and uh, what were the results of it. So then when you get into the part in biography, so biography is technically nonfiction, but again, it gets into your making an assessment of why that is, which may or may not be factual. Well, ex yes, John, because there's uh, no, everyone's life would be a, a veritable encyclopedia, thousands of pages, because every day is another page in, in your journal of life. And yeah. so a biography really can't cover all that. But there's also a way of picking and choosing what anecdotes you want to tell about somebody that uh, paints a, a picture, either pro or con, you know. And uh, so it makes it a challenge when you're a biographer of how to paint somebody sympathetically, but also deal with their flaws. Yeah, well, you, like, for example, you've got the history of the United States. So you've got Howard Zinn presents one view and then you've got kind of like what you and i were raised with as another view yeah. um so 
they're, they're, they're both biographies, and they both are, well, right now, Howard Zinn is being taught as, as gospel, but it's like the, there's also that aspect to, to biography, too, which is, or maybe I'm also pulling into history now, because that's, but it's also the thing, too, of like, the slant you have when you want to be able to tell that story. So you can do a biography and pick out, you know, you can take uh, someone like Roosevelt, and he was, you know, an amazing military person. He was, he served, what, three terms? And you can say all the great things that that he did as the president and what he did, put in place. Or if you're against his his philosophy, you can also pick the points the lower points and create a biography against that. And they're both biographies and they're both technically true. So anything in terms of the ethics of that? <laughs> uh, I only chuckled at John because, you know, obviously we're living right now in, uh, in that same kind of uh, uh, situation, a struggle between which facts do we include, which facts do we emphasize, or which facts do we invent? And right. certainly... Um, you know, if you want to paint a negative picture about uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one can point out that until the uh, the war started, uh, the depression didn't really end. You know, the economy wasn't recovering until we were pouring in uh, manufactured supplies to Europe and to uh, Australia and so on in Asia. There, there wasn't really a recovery. So those policies that uh, FDR had uh, put out didn't really work. And then, you know, you can look at the, 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 the terrible tragedy with the uh, concentration camps of uh, Japanese Americans. You know, how can anyone in good conscience have signed that kind of law in the place? You know, if you want to focus in on that, but we're not people from 1939, 1938, you know, uh, we don't know, you, you, you know, what is what they were aware of? What were they thinking at the time that made that seem logical? Right. You know, and right. Uh, so, again, when you talk about history, again, you know, there is a certain ethical thing because you got to always ask yourself, well, why is this other person doing what they're doing? And let's find some information for that. You know, you can't just, uh, okay, you know, well, let's repaint the history. I, I really enjoy the musical uh, 1776 because it so explains, you know, the challenge of what to deal with in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence uh, by real people, you yeah. know. And as Benjamin Franklin said, we have to have a country first or any of this discussion is just nonsense. It's not going to change. And, uh, and that's what I, I think is that uh, we, we have to look at people, you know, uh, it, with the, the whole surrounding and not just say, well, obviously Jefferson owned slaves. So obviously he must have been really pro-slavery and just didn't care about anybody of any race but the white guys. Right, right. Which I think is a very terrible, incomplete picture of what was going on. Yeah, and, uh, indeed. And so... Uh, this is why, you know, when we when we'll eventually here get to fiction, you know, we can paint those pictures and show those pictures, you know. But you know, for history again, it it's story, and what you can uh, we need a more complete uh, story of American history. We certainly need to understand 
who played key roles. This is why the internet's so wonderful. Is suddenly now all the tens of thousands of of women who contributed to in the sciences can now be celebrated. Besides uh, Madame Curie. Yeah, it's interesting. You said just. I have some of the most popular blogs that I've written are Westerns. And I did one on the Arizona Rangers, which has been very, very popular. But the one I did on women of the West has been by far the most comments, the most appreciated of all the blogs I've written because of that. Just like things don't get told. It's not because of the power of the internet, because of you know the writing up blogs and, and doing these podcasts, you can make things more known that weren't known. It was just it was, it, nobody told that story. Yes. And I think that's glorious. You know, we're uh, because I don't think there's there's a, a single person who can't have contributed to making things better uh, through time. And uh, we need to hear those stories, you know, because that makes us feel more empowered. Yeah. You know? So then on the subject then of, well, I never I kind of like melded biography into history. But so there's an important factor of this, too, like you can have. If you've got a slant you're trying to communicate and to show something in a derogatory light or a positive light, obviously that's um, that's the game you're playing. But in order to be able to do a fair shake on a thing, it's also like you're saying, what was going on at the time to assess? I mean, George Washington had, had slaves too, you know, yeah. but uh, Lincoln had slaves, but yet he's the one that signed, you know, the uh, yeah. the bill that you know ended slavery. So mm-hmm. it's um what was happening at the time that that was that that was going on so that's an important part of the story of biography and history like what was happening at that time that that was the scenario that was because if you compare it to like 60 years later 100 years later 200 years later that's an unfair comparison nothing's the same it's a whole Mm -hmm. different environment a whole different situation is happening and science is taken to a whole new level and just the evolution of, of um, or just the growth of civilization. You had, you know, America had, you know, however many thousands of people back, you know, 200 years ago, and now you've got how many millions of people. So it's a whole, it's just a different scene. So try to compare the standards when you're the only person around for 40, for 40 uh, miles, and now you're next to somebody within, you know, four feet. It's, it's a yeah. different a whole different environment and it's a whole set of, of social values and social constraints and what is and isn't okay. And yeah, that's, I, that needs to be taken into account. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're just, uh, you know, now I have to explain to people simple things like you used to dim the headlights in your car with your foot. I mean, there's a thousand little stories about how things work in in, uh, in in the medieval ages, for example, you know, that we don't know anything about. And, yeah. uh, you know, how did, uh, you know, how did that impact, uh, you know, the the culture, you know, having this limitation? It uh, It's very hard to paint that complete picture uh, without spending a lifetime studying it. And most of us, you know, uh, don't have that opportunity uh, to do and that. When it get, yeah. And so the difference between like biography and history versus fiction, it does require that you have that research to write a compelling fiction story to create that. Because you have to be able to create a universe that's believable. But anyway, again, where I'm getting ahead of myself on that. So the next yeah. type of story is science. Yeah. Well, certainly science is based uh, on what we like to think on logic and facts. 
But the fact is, is that there's plenty of scientific uh, theorems, or uh, I should say, you know, they they, they guess, they make a, a a shrewd guess about how things work, and uh, then uh, uh, tell a story about it. That if it, if this is how this is, if this is how black holes work, this will be the consequence of it, and uh, that's a story. Uh, you yeah, know, that's you the, have the deductive, deductive logic. Yeah, deductive logic. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, because time and again, we've seen with science is that there were unforeseen consequences that we didn't think about at the time, you know. And uh, and so then suddenly now there's a price being paid. Well, why didn't science predict that before? Well, because the story was only partial and it had a, a part that was uh, projection, uh, conjecture. And so we're uh, we're limited then, even in the sciences, uh, to trying to make a big picture out of many small pieces. And so we yeah. tell a story. Yeah, and one thing about science too that's important is that science has always painted itself as—I'll use the word gospel. This is this is the truth. This is the fact, and this is what it is. Until the next scientific discovery, which totally disproves that until the next time it's discovered, which disproves that. And so it goes on. So now we have, you know, which is where the, the, that branch of science fiction versus science fact, you know, we have right now where we've got certain rules or laws as established by science. It's okay. These are, this is what it is. So like you've got the speed of light. So that's the barrier. You can't go past that. That's just the way it is. It's been proven by this formula by Einstein. And there you go end of story until the next person discovers the next level, which because we don't have the next level, then it's, it's easy to say, well, that's balderdash because, you know, this is, this is science. This is, this is now we've, we've achieved, we've arrived at our point B, which we have not. But um, that's one aspect of science too, which I find very both fascinating and is also frustrating. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I uh, believe I shared with you some quotes about the possibility of manned spaceflight. And uh, no less an authority than the head of the Astronomical Society said, we won't have manned spaceflight for a century. And this is in 1940s. And you're just like, what? <laughs> you know, it, it can't happen, you know. The New York Times also, you know, said you can't have powered flight. You know, it's like, uh, okay, they seem to be factual. There seems to be facts that would back that up. But we found that, no, we had incomplete information. And it's perfectly possible to have men in space. And uh, and we're doing it right now. I mean, we're even yeah. getting into space tourism. So, yeah. you know, we... Uh, you know, when you when you are trying to paint a picture, yes, there's going to be these gaps, and those gaps are not called attention to. We had uh, naysayers about the humpback whale. You know, there were 400 left, and oh, now they're going extinct unless Star Trek actually does exist, and we can bring some humpback whales uh, from then to the future and save them. Well, now they've grown to a population of 25,000. And it's likely that they will be self-sustaining for the, you know, foreseeable future. And, uh, you know, hey, the, you know, a while back, no, that wouldn't happen. I mean, most people today don't remember the dire predictions of the starvation that was going to happen because uh, we couldn't grow enough food 
This was by uh, experts, quote unquote, in the 70s. And that story scared a lot of people. Well, it also scared people to invent solutions to it. So now India and China, they're feeding their people. Maybe I don't know how well, but certainly better than they had been. And uh, yeah. now the, uh, the problem isn't that, uh, isn't screaming at us. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so uh, science can explain things. Uh, it's when it starts getting, um, you know, trying to tell a complete story, they need to say, hey, we're making some guesses here. And it, it, this could be just wrong. We, we just don't know. And, right. But what uh, what will happen next? Good. So. Good. All right. So next one is politics. So that's something ah. we've all had our fill of. But... <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, 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 John. I think I think I think the story is obvious here. You yeah, know? I mean, but it's true of any country is that uh, political leaders uh, and dictatorships too tell their people stories. If somebody wants to get elected, they have to paint a picture that people believe is the truth. And one of the first things I, I do when I, I hear a story is I look and try to think, what are reasons why that isn't so? Why is that not the case? Why is there, a, you know, a reason why that won't work? And try to then balance and uh, find out which way it goes. Yeah, it's amazing how you can find, you can have a camera on something and you can you can record it and then you can have different people give that their interpretation of that which you know politics and yeah. you'd swear it's two totally separate events yes that were being described yes and and unfortunately um we have real problems in the world today john real serious problems and solutions are going to come from working together not by factions Right. And the uh, the fact is, we don't know who's going to come up with the solution. We need to listen to all voices and uh, empower them so that we can uh, find our way through this mess. So, but then, yeah. So, so then, writing a story with respect to politics, what are some of the, you know, the pitfalls or the things that need to be looked at to make sure it's it's a good story and not just something that's obviously just propaganda. Well, that's of the essence. I mean, the, the yeah. point is, is what you want to do is paint a rosy picture of having this person in charge that uh, we will have nirvana if we have this person in charge. And there, there isn't one person who has that. When you write a story about it, you have to show how there's uh, hidden information sometimes that you don't know that why politically they did this when they should have done that. Well, you don't know what is happening, you know, where, where the details lie in it. Right. Uh, and the, the fact is, is sometimes there's a, you know, uh, a deal with the devil kind of thing, you know, should, uh, should Nixon have gone to China? Well, you know, you could look and paint a horrible picture of human rights in China. I mean, the, there was tens, hundreds of millions of people killed in China and starvation and uh, Nixon goes there. Well, you know, you got to look and say, well, how are we going to fix this problem uh, by making them an implacable enemy behind this wall? And uh, that's just one example, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of uh, recent politics uh, where, you know, a, a, a politician may do something that doesn't settle well with other people. 
you right. know? And, uh, you know, and look, uh, Putin. Uh, Putin is uh, well admired in many places in Russia because he's a good looking guy and he's out doing stuff and uh, he, he looks fun and he's making Russians feel good about themselves. So, of course, they like the guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. so, you know, it's, you know, politics, you know, reflects some of the best of our uh, society and some of our worst. And, uh, you know, I don't see that uh, uh, the president needs to understand whoever of whatever policy is he's a, a, the president of every American, not just a select few. Right. Exactly. Exactly. OK, good. Then we go move over into news. So talk about this news story. Oh, unfortunately, this is where we, we live in a time, unfortunately, where professional newscasting has been hit hard. Uh, when uh, Grandpa lived, there was Walter Cronkite on the air, and his word was gospel, you know. And you only have to watch him uh, narrating the tragedy of uh, the Kennedy assassination to see a, a good man suffering horribly, cast having to tell us the news. But because of the internet, the revenues that used to support newspapers and television news. Uh, has evaporated. So now what they need to do is have news that's entertaining, that's uh, provocative, so that you'll want to watch it because you want to see what new uh, controversy has come up. Good news can't be talked about because it won't uh, it won't earn them any money. And uh, and then the caliber of people who are going into news uh, diminishes uh, because there's a, uh, you know, people, you know, need to make a living doing some of these jobs. And it's not, uh, you know, the news then ends up, what stories do you focus on? You know, well, if it bleeds, it leads is the common phrase. And so, in other words, if there's a tragedy, let's focus on that, you yeah. know? And uh, so I... Uh, I, I feel sad because, you know, while there certainly has been abuse of human rights in, in this country, both by police and by citizens, you know, uh, there are collateral damage. My dear Fred, uh, who runs a bookstore in Minneapolis, a uh, science fiction bookstore, it was burned down in the riots. Now, he had no political angle. He had nothing to do with the politics. He just happened to be in the wrong street at the wrong time, and his right. store is gone. And uh, where do we see a report on how can we help this man? How, how do we you know, band together so that other innocent people aren't hurt? Don't hear about that. We want to hear about the the last the the new thing to be destroyed, or the you know some accusation, or some other kind of of uh, pain and and anguish, so that that uh, uh, so people will turn to the to that news channel or that website, and uh, and they can get uh, the revenue they need. And, yeah, uh, I I just find that that's very sad. Yeah, back in the. Um... I know in the 1700s and early 1800s, because I've, I've got a friend that, that creates um, a Western newspaper. He pulls these articles from these old newspapers. He gets it from um, the archives in D.C. And it's just a matter of fact. Here's just a straight, plain storytelling. It's no opinion. It's just straight. He came in. He did this. They attempted to rob the bank. All the different people, you know, fought against it. He shot two people. He was found dead. Here's a picture of him laying down, you know, with all the bullet holes in him. And that's, I mean, that's 
the storytelling. That was news back then. It was just a straight, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, you know, Sergeant yeah. Friday. Yeah. But now you can't do that. What you have to do no. is interpret it. It has to be interpreted to fit some agenda, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, the, you know, and, and we're back to that uh, telling stories. Well, yeah, you don't have all the facts. You don't know what that person was thinking at the time. You know, we used to, you know, uh, what it does is erode a belief in the in the power of the rule of law. And once you the public loses confidence in that, you know, that's when revolutions happen. And we yeah. don't want that. That's and, a fact. And on the flip side, John, I can tell you, I've been in touch with people in in uh, Nigeria and Egypt and uh, Arabia and Asia. And there's a time here with COVID we have never seen in human existence ever before, which is we're all wearing masks. We're all wearing masks because we care about each other. And I'm not talking hundreds, thousands, millions. We're talking billions of people are wearing masks. We're united in trying to help each other not get this terrible uh, virus. I think that's glorious news. Uh, wow, we can do something on a global basis together. Yeah, right. of course, it's a, the fear of death, you know, helps with it. But dang, you know, it shows us at least we can take these baby steps to to be different. Why are we telling that story? You know, because certainly I feel much closer now to my uh, Hindu uh, brethren, you know, my African brethren, you know, uh, knowing that we're facing a common foe and we're all, you know, marching to make it go away. Right, right. That's good. Now, the one last category you had here was criticism, criticism story. Yes. When we write criticism of story, we're evaluating, and I'm talking about fiction, you know, and it could apply to any uh, thesis. But in, uh, in writing a criticism, you're guessing, one, at the motives of the uh, author, and you're guessing at his education and his word choices and his, uh, and it could be her. I mean, I I apologize. Uh, and it could be their choice, you know, as to how things are phrased, what incidents are recorded, and all of that is part of criticism. You know, there was a, a movie, Back to School, where the uh, student had uh, hired the uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, the author of the story, to write his essay on Kurt Vonnegut, and the professor flunked him, saying, "You you don't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut and his writing." <laughs> you know, because, of course, the professor acting as a lord over the the uh, the essay, you know, is guessing that, you know, no, what was written doesn't agree with his opinions about Kurt Vonnegut and what he thinks Kurt Vonnegut meant and what he didn't mean. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure the story is true of, of many other authors, you know, where, no, I didn't mean that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you You just... You just guessed and, and decided, okay, this is, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, must have done that uh, deliberately. And uh, no. And uh, so uh, criticism could be a, a terrible weapon as well, uh, you know, when you're uh, fictionalizing a part of what you're looking at. Right. Got it. Okay, good. So now all those different types of stories just went over. Now we have fiction itself as a genre, which has, regardless of the, regardless whether it's, Science fiction, fantasy, mystery, romance, adventure, uh, mm -hmm. 
military fiction, it stands out because it tells us the skills and the attitudes and goals that are that are there for people for for humankind to be able to achieve and and to to conquer or to best. So how's that different or how, or how did the the story of, you know, these different nonfiction categories both compare and differ with fiction? Well, of course in uh, uh the in the real world uh, we often are not able to find the rock bottom truth that explains everything, and uh, right, right, and so uh, that possibility exists in fiction. It's the author who is the ultimate say on the story, what what it means, and, and so forth. However, the author has to be telling a truth or more than one truth in his story while he's telling lies. Because, of course, any fiction work is a lie because it's not true. It, that means these incidents did not happen. This, this isn't uh, a real person. Uh, this is not a real situation. We're inventing this. So, but it has to ring true to people and it has to show people uh, the enduring stories of the ones where uh, we gain an insight and, ha- and share a vicarious emotional sp- experience with the, the, with the protagonist. And the more intense that is, the, the greater the struggle to win, the more invigorating it is for us in order to be able to, you know, when we uh, end the story, you know, to feel, uh, wow, uh, I like that. I'm going to recommend this book. Right. So now how is it that a person's understanding of the first type of story that we went over, all those different seven categories, how does an understanding of that help to make a better fiction story? Well, you you can see templates here, you know, uh, because in fiction, like I was just saying, you're portraying real people in uh in a given society and so you want to see what stories do people believe what uh, kinds of pictures uh, are they willing to paint and uh and and how do they what do they conclude from that so that uh, your story resonates with them and feels true and so looking at the history you know saying uh, some people chose this some people chose that well now you can say in your world okay this is why people did this people did that because it rings true it's the way human beings act and uh, so whether you're writing fantasy and setting it in the medieval age or whether you're talking about science fiction in the far future you know you want to paint a picture that helps help them see either how they overcome this challenge or how they overcome the challenge in themselves, you know, or how they gained a new and better view of things. Okay. And for me, for example, uh, I can tell you personally, I'm six years old watching, watching a rerun of classic Star Trek in which we have two, two aliens fighting. There's a half black, half white guy and a half white black guy. And, at one point, the one guy, uh, Kirk, asked him, what, what are you fighting about? And he says, uh, you know, why are you fighting this guy? And he says, well, can't you see he's black on the left side? And I'm six years old, and I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard anybody say. 
but it rang true because I knew from what was going on in the adult world at the time that we had a race uh, challenge. We were uh, trying to uh, understand and appreciate all people at the time. And now I saw that there were some people at one point thought that because they were a, a different color, that that mattered. Huh. That it was inane. And, uh, and so uh, the Star Trek could put it in a way that wasn't preachy. That's the, always the problem because it, we're all extremely adept at knowing when somebody's trying to tell us, you're wrong, you're stupid, and unless you do it my way, you're going to stay stupid. Well, we don't learn that way. You know, and I just learned at that moment to say, hey, you know, I will never look at somebody just because they have a different pigment, you know, yeah. in their hair. So obviously, for example, John Goodwin, if he has some gray hair, well, he's an old guy. <laughs> and so we can discount his comments. But what? That's stupid. <laughs> a pigment makes a difference. <laughs> Give me a break. Right, right. So uh, those, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, it could tells you, uh, you know, when you see people fall for, um, you know, propaganda, you know, you understand how you can make the villain in your story seem attractive, you know, to his supporters to figure out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's sad to say that as one of the most educated countries on the planet at the time, Germany elected Hitler. I mean, it was not a coup. It was not a battle. <laughs> it was an election. Hello. So yeah. how does how does these things happen? And you can explore this kinds of things, you know, um, because it makes a, for a more true story when your villain is in cardboard. You know, but you see that people follow him because he has something that he's offering and, and they want that. And uh, that, uh, you know, makes a, a book last. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting you say that because on one of the, some of those earlier articles you sent to me, uh, just that various little anecdotal articles about Owen Hubbard, one of the books that he wrote, which continues to be uh, just revered as, as an amazing science fiction story was Final Blackout. And yes. The story, the, the, they're not cardboard characters. That's one thing that he had, and that makes his story still popular today, you know, 80, 90, 100 years after he wrote them, is because his people were real people. And that's an important thing that, that writers need to understand about storytelling. And it's also why it was very, you know, apt for him to have created the Writers of the Future program, because he's got the, all the different essays that he had. And then several of our judges say, yeah, you know, what he wrote, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, both of his advice as well as his stories are, are pertinent now. Some of the stuff is dated, but a lot of stuff like Final Blackout, it is so not dated because they're people. You know, he writes people stories. Mm -hmm. And see, people don't change that much. Right. We're very sorry that the tales told in the Roman Empire didn't get recorded on permanent, you know, metal plates or something so that we could find out what was going on because they probably had many of the same uh, sagas that inspired them. And certainly, you know, because uh, we have now the internet, we're able to see the writings of L. Ron Hubbard in contemporary at that time in the magazines and from other fans talking about him. So we can better appreciate how well a good author can capture people and the story feels true. 
And uh, we still love, for example, Sherlock Holmes. And he's 100 and what, 110 years uh, away from us. Right. And yet, you know, uh, it's because it captures a part of the human spirit there very, very well. Okay, good. That makes that, you know that that's good. That makes sense. Now, one last area because we're getting close to our you know to to wrapping up here. But one last area, which I'm probably the part I'm most interested in, is the is the subject of censorship and book burning, um, which is just the opposite of what we're trying to do here. But that's like the ultimate of what some of the stuff you know, like the McCarthyism we were talking about earlier. The you know we yeah. were the the cancel you know that was happening back then. Obviously, in Nazi Germany and in, and I think it was Ukraine yes. and Russia too, the, the burning of books. So you talk about that as your fears. So talk a bit yes. about that, please. Absolutely, because when you have a select group who assume mm. because of for whatever reason they're appointed to be the ones to make the decision about what can and can't be read, we're in a bad a bad world. The fact is, is the the censorship. We're always willing to point out the most egregious examples, the most horrible examples that uh, uh, may not deserve to be published, may not be uh, shared. But the problem is, is drawing that line. Where is the line and who gets to decide? And that's where the trouble comes in. You know, if if we want to say... you know, uh, for example, for many, the Bible is a sacred, a sacred book, but it's also been the cause of a lot of bloody wars. So you're going to blame God because he let a book be written about him that causes people to get mad? I don't think so. Yeah. No, it's uh, the fact is, is that right now the sentiment is, is that in the pursuit of a good goal, we don't need to use the enemy's weapons. You know, we need to persuade people uh, by showing a better story about why uh, uh, we need to change. We need to be better. You know, like I said, even as six years old, you know, we should be better than this now. We should be treating each other better. But I also say is that uh, the problem is, is the uh, the book burning kind of thing is a very visceral action. You can do it immediately. It's dramatic. It gets coverage. People want to hear about it, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, casting away someone's books uh, and burning them uh, is not a solution. You want to find out what, what needs to be kept and what needs to be ignored. And I, I, I fear because it's, it's, uh, there, there's no remedy for the person who says, wait, wait, I didn't mean it that way. Well, sorry, but you're gone, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know. And, uh, and the punishment fitting the crime, you know, we all lament when we see someone, you know, is arrested and given a life sentence for stealing something because it was his third felony, you know. On the other hand, uh, when someone is a, a gifted singer, when someone's a gifted writer, uh, we give no path for them to say, oh, well, I can be different. I can do things better. No, they're erased. And that's a powerful tool. And we need to have a way to control it. That's why we got courts instead of just letting mob rule be the case. And, right. uh, you know, so no, I, I, I'm terrified by that because it has a veneer of being very uh, good. Let's help other people. Well, do we help other people by arbitrarily picking who we're going to destroy? 
uh, whose voice? Because it was too long ago that if you were uh, a gentleman of uh, uh, of another race, you weren't listened to. You you're, you were driven by primal urges, and you're not uh, to be uh, part of the intelligent conversation. No, I don't want to go back to that world. I want the world we're creating now. Excited, going into space. We're going and doing things together, sharing on the internet like never before. This is the golden age of writers and creators, John. I can't emphasize that too much, that we have the power of distribution for our good works. And you can be a filmmaker in 10 minutes, put it up on YouTube. You can be a published author by putting it out there to download. You know, you can put your music up there and your art and you can make a living and and do it globally. How, what a glorious time it is to create things. Let's make beautiful things because the world is hungry for great story. Wow. With that, we'll end this interview. <laughs> I can't know even how to... Uh... To top that one, that is so true, what you just said there. What the world needs now is great story, and we're ready for it. So as we wrap up this podcast, Dave, anything else you'd like to say before we end off? Well, I want to invite everybody to attend Life's Universe and Everything next February to uh, join us at one of the largest conferences focused on creating aspiring writers into professional, successful writers. And uh, this is of all walks, and whether you're in art or film or media or books and short stories, we uh, would love to see you here. Check us out at www.ltue.net. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Get your copy of the Writers of the Future anthology containing the award-winning stories and art, which is online in virtually every country in the world. Again, thank you very much, David. Thank you.